you can turn to Luke chapter 2. And um, we're going to look at this story. Uh, Chrissy used some language that uh, kind of struck me. Um, this dream language. I think we all have a sense of dreams or ambitions, right? Or at least if you grew up in America, you were told that you should. You should have these dreams. You should have these ambitions. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that at all. And um, Mary is probably 15, um, maybe a touch younger, maybe a touch older, uh, had freshly been engaged. now, I've been on the male side of that. I, I know that it's different for girls and planning the wedding and things of that nature. Um, but I can remember how excited I was to plan the future with, with Melissa and uh, the plans we were making. And, uh, and there's no doubt that Mary had all kinds of dreams, all kinds of plans. And then an angel comes to her and says, you are going to become pregnant. Um, And she said, "Mm, but that can't quite be. Um, She'd saved herself, there's something to be said there. Uh, And the angel says, well, it's it's going to be miraculous. You know, with with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And and this child of yours is is going to be the Messiah. Um, Now, she's 15. And I think one of the things I want to point out at some point in this passage we're about ready to look at is though Mary had some framework for who this Messiah would be, she definitely didn't have the framework that she'd be the one giving birth to this Messiah. She definitely didn't have the framework that everything Jesus was going to go through um, was, was going to happen. Uh, this morning I actually came to this church um, And he was, uh, Pastor Charles was preaching on Mary, did you know? And just kind of talking about this fact, like, okay, here's what Mary knew. She knew that she was carrying the Messiah. And she knew that's about all she knew. (laughs) It was really just about that, about it. Um, She did not know the journey that was ahead of her. And all these dreams and ambitions that she had, um, God had some other ones. And I wonder if, if maybe some of the dreams and ambitions Mary had um, ended up coming into fruition. And I think that we can say with absolute confidence that, um, that God did a lot more, a lot greater than Mary could ever ask or imagine. And I love that passage in Ephesians 3 that says um, that he who is able to do far more than we could ever ask or imagine according to the power that is at work within you and me. Um, that is the spirit is working through you and me. But, but this passage we're going to look at today is not so much about Mary's hopes and dreams as much as it's about Mary's problems, issues. Um, I think that there are two kinds of problems that you and I encounter in our life. The, the first one being the problems that we create by sinful or foolish decisions that we make, right? You know what? Some people might find themselves deep in consumer debt. Um, that probably didn't just happen to you. You probably made a set of decisions that, that, that led you there, right? 
Um, or maybe you find yourself where you are in these broken relationships with your family. And um, it was maybe because of some things that you said, maybe some things that you did. Or maybe it's an, an anger issue, or maybe it's a lust issue, or, or these broken relationships, something you've done. But, um, and, and we all have those problems in our life, right? And, and that's where we need the gospel. We need the gospel where we repent of those things and turn to Jesus. Jesus makes us new and leads us out and through redeeming those things. And then there's a whole different set of problems. Um, problems that I think Chrissy could, um, uh, Chrissy's story definitely points out. These problems where to no, no fault of your own, things just go um, badly, right? Um, you're walking faithfully, you are walking in obedience, and then just something happens to no fault of your own. And, and it can happen on a minor scale. Like, you, you ever, like, go, Monday morning, I turn on my car, I turn on the heat, and then all of a sudden it's like, heater's broken or something. Um, it's like, okay, no fault of my own. At least that I know, right? No fault of my own. Not real happy about that. And it's, I, I call them these, God, what are you doing moments? You ever have these just, car doesn't start, heater's not going, um, or they can be major ones, right? Major ones where you, you give birth to a child and they die, or you, you have a miscarriage, or you hear tragic news, or you get a chronic illness, or someone you love um, gets cancer, or you get cancer. And it's no fault of your own, right? And, and you're sitting there, and maybe this is not what you think, but this is often what I think. God, what are you doing? We have these moments, right? We, we maybe even have them daily if we pay attention. Maybe not at the major scale, but maybe minor and somewhere in between minor and major. These moments where we're going, God, what are you, what are you doing here? Why are you doing this? Anybody? Amen? Amen. This passage, not only is it filled with God, what are you doing moments, but I really, as I look at it, it's a passage in which it really does tell us what God is doing in the God, what are you doing moments. But it also, I think, gives us a glimpse of what you and I ought to do and how we ought to respond in the God, what are you doing moments. So God, what are you doing? And God, what am I supposed to do? Let's read this passage. It's the Christmas story, or at least the first part of it. And, and as I read it, I, I found three, at least three. Mary would probably tell you there was a dozen, but I count three God, what are you doing moments that might be close to the major scale. It says, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole entire world should be registered. That is, they were to be taxed. Anybody love being taxed? Amen? No, no amens. <laughs> this was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his, his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Everybody say Bethlehem. Bethlehem. Say little town of Bethlehem. Little all I got for you. Because, here's why, because he 
was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who, oh, by the way, was with child. Now, what we're going to find out here is that not only is she with child, but she's somewhere deep into the third trimester, eight months, nine months. We actually have um, a couple of pregnant people in the house. I see one back there. And um, so, Danny, you're, this is real time. Like, I, this, I could, maybe you should try this out with your husband and see what happens, but um, probably not. Um, but here they are. Mary's already dealing with the, God, what are you doing moment of she's, you know, has this child. It is the Messiah. There's no categories in that for her mind. And as she's waiting to give birth in, in where she lives in Nazareth, Caesar comes up with a decree that the whole world should be taxed and they all must go to their hometown. Now, listen, you and I know we can prepare for tax season. We can you know, fill out the paperwork. We're on top of it, or at least I hope that you are. Something like this would actually happen at best once a decade. So it was never planned. So when it was happening, it'd be like, oh, we didn't save for this. We didn't think about this. So here Mary and Joseph are. We know for a fact they're extremely poor. They are about ready to have a baby. They are basically shunned, as we'll soon find out, by their whole family because of their circumstance. She's pregnant. They're not married. It's not his. And now they have to go travel. This was probably 80 to 90 mile journey. They didn't have cars, by the way. I think we know that. So they're either walking or on the back of a donkey. Danny, can I, how's that feel? Could, would you want to get back on the back of a donkey at this point? You're not even at eight months here, but sound good? Yeah, try it. Let me know how that goes. This is a five-day journey minimum. Do you think she had a moment where she's like, Lord, what are you doing? At any point in these five days. Now, it says that they get to Bethlehem. Verse 7, verse 6. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. That is a feeding trough. And there was no place for them in the end. Two more. God, what are you doing moments? Um, the second one is this. They come into Bethlehem and, oh, it's time for them to have a baby. You ever have one of those moments like the timing could not be any worse? I, I wonder if that's one of those moments right here. Notice that this is their hometown. You know what that means? It means mom and dad are probably there. It means his brothers, his sisters, they're all there. His cousins, they're all there. Aunts, uncles. Some of you, you only have one sibling, two siblings, maybe three or four siblings tops. Back in this day, you had five, eight, nine, ten siblings. Anybody opening their home to them? No. To no fault of their own, their family has turned on them. God, why? What, what are you doing? You ever have any of those relationships where you are being as faithful as possible and yet there's no love? 
God, what are, what, what are you, what are you doing? And add on top of that the fact that she has to give birth in a barn, right? A barn. She places her child in a feeding trough. It's become nostalgic, right? Like, oh, so cute, a manger. It's like something out of like Chip and JoJo's show. Like you'd see that on Fixer Upper, right? Super cute. This place had diseases probably. I mean, this is nasty. And I wonder what Mary is thinking as she lays Jesus in this feeding trough. God, what what are you doing? Now, Luke, it's as if he's kind of nudging us or winking at us in this passage because he's trying to get our attention. Because he knows that if we're students of Scripture here, we're going to notice that this is crazy. But if we're students of Scripture, we're also going to notice something that he highlights. He, he makes note of verse 4. He says, And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called, oh, by the way, a place called Bethlehem. Notice he says, the city of David, which is also called Bethlehem. He's highlighting it. He's saying it twice. Why? Because he's trying to remind us of a very obscure verse in the Old Testament found in Micah 5.2 that was a prophecy about the Messiah to come in the exact precise location of where that Messiah would be born. And Micah 5.2 simply says, But you, O Bethlehem. Everybody say Bethlehem. Bethlehem. Yeah, you heard it there. Micah 5.2. Four, five hundred years before Jesus is born. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient of days. God, what are you doing? Five, six, seven day journey, 90 miles, no family to take him in, a barn in Bethlehem. And Luke's going, God knows exactly what he's doing. This is not a problem. This is a prophecy. God said that Jesus would be born here. And so Caesar thinks that he's making this worldwide decree. Look how strong and powerful I am. I'm going to get everybody to pay taxes. He's a puppet for God. God's like, mm-mm, I need to get that little obscure couple right there down from the map, 90 miles. I ain't going to move that eight-month pregnant lady with anything. So I basically have to get a decree to get her down there. What if I were to tell you that in your, God, what are you doing moments, God is actually doing something. What if he's actually doing something for your good, for your joy? And here's the deal. Do you think Mary saw it? I'm not sure she did. But what I want us to see here is that in your God, what are you doing moments, God 
is doing something. You might not be able to see it. Maybe you will never, ever see it. But Luke wants us to see it's happening. God is doing something in those God, what are you doing moments. Now, now, now what, what, what do we do? I want to make two observations in this passage and, and really the rest of this passage. Um, and observation number one is what God is doing here. God is doing something. We see that plain and clear, right? God is doing something. He's fulfilling a prophecy. But I want you to see that he's more than just doing something. He's more than just fulfilling a prophecy. Here's what God is doing. God is acting within his character and nature of being sovereign and good. And and that's what I want you to take hold of here. Is that what God is doing in your God, what are you doing moments? Is that he is acting within his character and nature of being sovereign and being good. Now we can see, I think, quite clear here, his sovereignty in action, right? And by the way, if you need a definition for the doctrine of God's sovereignty, here's a working definition here. The doctrine of God's sovereignty teaches that God is Lord over all creation, That is, that he has complete power, complete control, and ordains everything that has happened, is happening, and ever will happen. So Caesar thinks he's the one who made the decree, and God goes, no, 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 I'm the Lord. I'm the true Caesar here. This is me. You're a mouthpiece. And what I want us to see is that in this God, what are you doing moment is God is acting within his character, within his nature of being sovereign. He is in absolute control over this situation. And it's the same in your God, what are you doing moments, whether on the minor scale of that car's not starting or the heater is broken or you stubbed your toe. Well, that one's probably your fault. But even sovereign over that to even the major stuff. Where we turn on the news and we're just like looking at what's happening in, in the Midwest, Kentucky, and it's just like, God, what are you doing? He's sovereign over that. It's not as if that happened because God slept through his alarm or something like that. No, no, no. God is sovereign even in the most dark moments of our life because that is who he is. And he never acts out of character. But listen, he's not just sovereign. He's good. He's good. I love, um, this is off my, not on my script here. But I love the line, the witch in the wardrobe, in that book or the movie. Um, I don't know if they say this quote in the movie, but Aslan, who is supposed to represent Jesus, C.S. Lewis is brilliant. The kids are starting to hear about Aslan. They haven't seen him yet. They're just hearing about him. 
And one of the girls, I don't know if it's Lucy or the older girl, like goes, is, is, he, is he scary? Oh, no, 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 no. Um, is he safe? There's the line. He goes, is he, is he safe? Like she's starting to freak out like a lion. And Mr. Beaver says, he's not safe, but he is good. He is good. And what we see here is not just God's sovereignty, not just God making a puppet out of Caesar and not just God taking Mary and Joseph by the hand, no easy journey, and bringing them into Bethlehem and having Jesus being born there to fulfill a prophecy. Not only are we seeing God being sovereign, but we are seeing him being good. And if you want to understand the doctrine of God's goodness, It comes from Exodus 34, where God says to Moses, I'm going to have all my goodness pass by you. And when God passes by Moses, God speaks and says, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness forgiving generations. The doctrine of God's goodness, it's it's like this catch-all of God's mercy, grace, His love, His slow to anger, and His forgiveness. And I think we see God's goodness on display in verses 8 through 11. Let's read it and just soak in it. And in the same region, same region, not up in Nazareth, but down in Bethlehem, in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. Just underline that verse And you can just write Exodus 34, I think it's verse verse 6 through, just keep reading. But in Exodus 34, it's, it's, it's talking about God's showing his glory to Moses. And that's the verse where God shows his glory to Moses and says, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. And faithfulness, forgiving generations. So the glory shows up. The glory of God shows up. His goodness shows up. And they were filled with with great fear. That is, the shepherds. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news. Everybody say, "Good good news. Of great joy. How many of you need joy? I know I need joy. You can have joy. Life doesn't need to be perfect to have joy, friends. You can have joy in the midst of deepest sorrows as long as it's the joy that God gives. Bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. All the people. Everybody. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This is just a glimpse of God's goodness to you and I. He 
has come to save us. He has come to save you. In what is the most unthinkable way? The way that God chooses to save you is by coming off of his throne in heaven and putting on flesh, human flesh, and being born as a baby. Scotland, right there. Look at that baby. Right there. I'm not, I'm not pointing out you, Peter. I'm, Peter. I'm pointing out your child there. So helpless, right? So helpless. Peter drops her. Game over, right? Game over. Needs to be fed. Needs to be taken care of. God comes down like that. That seems foolish. God, you should come down and just beat down Caesar. That's what you should do. No, 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 no. God says, I'm going to go, go through everything you go through. I'm going to be tempted every way you've been tempted. I'm going to suffer every way that you've suffered and then more. I'm going to be hungry. I'm going to be thirsty. I'm going to lose loved ones. I'm going to be mocked. I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to go through everything that you and I would ever go through. And then I'm going to go and die for you. God comes and puts on flesh because He wants to be with us. He wants to be with you. The gospel is the good news of not just salvation, but it's the good news that God wants to have a personal relationship with you. That's astounding. And God came to save us. This is the goodness of God. This is the ultimate picture of God's goodness. And it is smack dab in the middle of Mary's God, what are you doing moment. What God is doing is he is displaying his character and he is displaying his nature of being sovereign and being good. And we need to understand that God's character and his nature is not the, the, the sum total of his different parts, like different slices of a pie making up a whole. It's not as if God is sovereign in this moment of your life, and then, okay, it's time for God to be good in this moment of your life, and, oh, okay, it's time for God to show his justice, and, okay, then there's the judgment, and, no, 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 no. God is always sovereign. God is always good. God is always loving. Always, all the time. In your deepest pain, in your deepest hurt, in the minor, what are you doing, God moments. In the major, God, what are you doing moments. Here's what he is doing. He's being sovereign and he is being good. But here's the last observation. It's a very, very important one. I can say with basically absolute certainty that Mary and Joseph, as they're on their way to Bethlehem, the bumpy road, 
No, at no point does Mary or Joseph say, you know what? You know what I just realized? Micah 5 2. <laughs> That's why. Oh, that makes so much sense right now. No. No way. And, and the reason why I can say that so confidently is if you read the rest of the book of Luke here, you will find that at best, Mary has the pieces of the puzzle, but she cannot quite put them together. At the end of Jesus's birth, it's going to say that Mary literally just pondered all the things that happened and treasured them in her heart. Translation, she was just taking it and taking it and going, okay, Wow. Here's what you and I need to understand in our God, what are you doing moments. Most of the time you won't know. Maybe you're different than me, but I feel like 99 out of 100 of the God, what are you doing moments? I don't know what he's doing. I can't look to Micah 5 2. I don't have that verse. Look, oh, that's it. Now I've got Romans 5 where there's that verse about, you know, suffering and building character. How many of y'all are kind of over that one? Maybe not. So I realized that, okay, maybe, maybe that's just it. Maybe we're just building my character, Lord. But we need to understand. That most of the time in our God, what are you doing moments, you won't know what he's doing. You won't know why you got cancer. You won't know why you got COVID. You won't know why, fill in the blank. And Mary doesn't know either, at least it seems. But you know what I think she did know? She may not have understood what God was doing. She may not have knew what God was doing, but she knew who God was. She may not have knew what God was precisely doing, but she knew who God was. She knew that God is good and God is sovereign. I think that Mary was able to trust God more than what she could see in front of her. How about you? When those God, what are you doing moments that you have no idea what God is doing, do you at least trust that he is good and that he is sovereign? Do you at least Trust God more than what you can see in front of you. Because in a way, I feel like it, it, it's really one of two choices. We can either put our circumstances between us and God, or we can put God between us and our circumstances. We can either go, oh, wait, God, you are much bigger than my circumstances. Or we can look at our circumstances and go, oh, those feel like way too big. And I think what Mary, what she can teach us in this, God, what are you doing moment is, God, I don't know what, I don't know what you're doing, but I know who you are. And, and here's the thing that I think you and I can do that maybe Mary couldn't, or certainly not to the degree that we could, or we can, on this side of the cross. 
is not only can we say, I don't know what you're doing, but I know who you are, but here's what else we can say. God, I don't know what you're doing, but I know what you've done. I don't know what you're doing in this moment, but I know what you did for me on the cross. You know, Romans 8 says, if God is for us, who can be against us? For he who did not spare his own son, how will he not graciously give us all things? In other words, if, if God gave up his son for us, I mean, we can count on his goodness and his grace and his sovereignty no matter what happens. And so, how about you? And your God, what are you doing moments? You'll have them if you haven't had one. Maybe even before you go to bed, you might have one. You'll certainly have one this week. What are you going to do? Are you going to trust God more than what you can see in front of you? You might not know what God is doing, but you do know who He is. You may not know what God is doing, but you know what He's done for you. He's brought His Son down here. And He has given us His Son. And really, what I think Mary can teach us, what Joseph can teach us is, as many times, the battle is won by our beliefs. What do we believe about God? Do we believe that He is good? Do we believe that He is sovereign? Do we believe that He is for us? This last quote here. Uh, A.W. Tozer, I think, wrote this. He says, A low view of God is the cause of a hundred lesser evils, but a high view of God is the solution to 10,000 temporal problems. In order to regain a godly perspective on your problems, you must ask this question. Are my problems bigger than God, or is God bigger than my problems? What would happen, imagine, if we got our eyes off the size and the complexity of our problems and got our eyes on the size and the grandness of our God, that he is for you and he's not against you. And so, a word of application, just one thing. Pray and meditate on the goodness and the sovereignty of God that we see in Christ. Meditate on the fact that, that God was sovereign even in the death of his son Jesus. That God brought that about to save you and I. And may we also meditate and contemplate and maybe even pray through the goodness of God. What if that problem you're in right now, God has brought that problem in your life because he's good and he's gracious and he's merciful and he's trying to do something in you, maybe even through you. And what we need to do is we need to put our eyes on the size of our God, not the size of our problem. And so I'm going to invite the worship team to come up and Again, we came in here and this room was set up this way. This is not normally how we sit. Um, but we have the communion table here. And I'm going to invite us to do something altogether quite different. Is um, Communion is up here. And 
I want to invite you, um, as the worship team is playing, to come and take communion as you feel led. I think there's something powerful, at least something distinct about coming to the table and being reminded that the first time this meal took place, took place a similar setting as this. The disciples were not sitting in rows, they were sitting in circle, in a circle around the table. And Jesus took the bread, and he broke it, and he said, this, this is my body. This is this I'm going to break for you. And so when you take it both now and forever, I want you to remember that I broke my body for you. And then he took the cup and, and he said, this is my blood which I poured out. And it's through his blood that our sins are covered and made clean. And so as we sing and as we worship, I'm going to invite you to come and take a cup and take a cracker and, and feel free to grab a seat or find a different part um, of this sanctuary, whether you want to take it privately or pray, take it with the family unit you came in with. But let's come and put our eyes on the goodness and the sovereignty of God, of Him giving us His Son to save us. Amen. So go as you feel that.